My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. We are almost at the halfway point in this series on biblical discipleship. With this last couple of podcasts, I'm going to talk about discipling. Discipling, the verb, we've already talked about what a disciple is. We've talked a little bit about discipleship, you know, that word that we invented uh, to refer to this concept of uh, being and, and making disciples. We're going to talk uh, this in this podcast and in the next one about the verb that we've invented, discipling. And uh, we're going to use this as our last message on uh, this kind of a biblical theology of discipleship, seeing what the Bible has to say about discipleship and making disciples and how all that has to do with us today in the church age. And we're going to use this in the next podcast kind of as a, as a, a springboard to get us into the next set of lessons on a, a biblical philosophy of discipleship, because if we understand what the Bible says about discipleship and making disciples and being disciples, we really ought to take a hard look at what the Bible says about how we actually do that, so we can avoid the pitfalls, and I'm going to talk about that um, again in our next podcast. I'm going to talk about the main pitfall in uh, in this whole ministry of discipleship. There's one big one, and um, and we're going to use that, like I said, to get a springboard into the next set of lessons, the next series in this, or mini-series in the whole series. I want to talk about a biblical philosophy of discipleship, but we need to talk about discipling. We kind of need to, to just finish off this, this first round of, of podcasts, this first round of lessons on a biblical philosophy of discipleship, and talk about, well, what do we, what do we mean when we say, hey, I'm discipling so-and-so. Hey, so-and-so is discipling me. And we often use terms like that, and they get to be these, these new buzzwords in Christianity. And frankly, uh, they're dangerous. They 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 carry a whole lot of weight because words mean things, and if we don't understand what we're communicating, we are going to communicate the wrong thing. So, when we talk about discipleship, remember what what's our purpose in life? That's how we started this whole thing out. We are here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's one of the things the the Westminster Shorter Catechism got right. Um, and I'm going to steal that. I'll borrow that um, and give him credit for it to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and that's our purpose. Well, how do we do that? You know, we, we, we looked at John 17, 4, where Jesus Christ, he's praying to the Father and he says, I've glorified thee on earth. I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And we asked ourselves, okay, what's the work that God gave us to do today in the church age? The work that if we do that work, we glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is that work? And we saw that that work is being and making disciples. And so we've tried to take that whole concept and take it to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say about all this stuff? You know, well, what does the Bible say? If I'm supposed to be a disciple, if I'm supposed to make disciples, what, what is a disciple? And we saw that a disciple is a Christian. The terms are used synonymously in the book of Acts. A disciple is one who has... Um, to, to use the metaphor of the gate and the, and, and the path, he's, the disciple is one who has passed through the straight gate 
of conversion. He has repented and placed his faith and trust in Christ. And a disciple is one who is now walking on that narrow path of consecration. He is being molded and changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to be a disciple is to be saved and to be sanctified. And that that process of sanctification is a process for the rest of your life. Um, I've kind of made the point here several times that we often see uh, people, and they say, well, I've done discipleship, well, I finished discipleship, and even, you know, some people, they get a little diploma or a little certificate that says, hey, I'm done with discipleship. No, we're not done with discipleship until we are like Christ. And uh, that happens at the rapture, at the resurrection, when Jesus Christ comes back for us, gives us our, our, our glorified bodies, and he He finishes the work which he started in us, Philippians 1.6. And so, understand that being a disciple is not something that, yeah, I did that, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. No, um, discipleship is something that we we do. It's it's our life, it's growing in Christ, it's being conformed to the image of Christ, and until Christ is formed in us, we're still disciples. And so that's that's something that's that's our lifestyle. But we, we also talked about, well, how do we make a disciple then? You know, being a disciple is being a Christian. Well, how do you make a Christian? And discipleship begins with uh, with evangelism. We evangelize the lost, and it continues after that with edification, because we edify other believers. So we, we took some time, we defined what the Bible says a disciple is. That was kind of fairly easy, since a disciple is mentioned in the Bible. All we had to do was do a little Bible study and trace the Word through Scripture and find out what it says. Then we took a look at discipleship, a couple of podcasts, a couple of lessons on discipleship. Uh, that's kind of a term that's a little more tricky, because it's a buzzword today in Christianity. It's a buzzword in local churches. People use it for all sorts of things. Uh, so we really need to be very careful about how we define and use this term discipleship. But frankly, it just re- re- it refers to the process a disciple goes through as he's being conformed to the image of his master. And we saw how Luke 640 um, links up with Romans 829. And we kind of made the observation that Luke 640, uh, where it says, you know, the, the disciple's not above his master, it's enough for a disciple to be as his master. And discipleship is about the, the disciple becoming as his master. A disciple is becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's explicit discipleship. It actually mentions the word disciple over in the Gospels. And that that explicit discipleship is carried over into uh, the Pauline epistles in concept, but not in terminology. And so the last time uh, the word disciple is used in the Bible is in the book of Acts. After that, we don't see it because the the, the dynamic of, of discipleship changed when Christ uh, ascended into heaven. He's no longer physical, physically present upon the earth. And so our discipleship today looks different than discipleship in the in the Gospels. We had an explicit discipleship in the Gospels. We still have discipleship today because Paul says the same thing in Romans 8.29. You know, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So as the disciple becomes as the master, so the, you know, the Christian today, the believer is being conformed to the image of Christ. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So we've said discipleship is the normal Christian life. It is because it's, it's being, being born again. It's, it's the conversion experience of repentance and faith in Christ. It's being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then it's a lifelong process of growing in Christ likeness. So discipleship, it just means to follow Jesus Christ in order to be like him in character and conduct. But that leaves us with one more term. We have one more term we need to define in our study, and that's our verb, discipling. 
discipling. So we understand disciple, we understand discipleship, and how and and this this new term is just it's not going to be that hard. So we're going to define it. What is discipling? But then we're going to spend some time. Uh, talking about who's responsible for it. And I think we can do that. Discipling, is it's not going to be hard to, to define, but what I'd like to do is see if I can't maybe step on your toes a little bit and uh, in the process step on mine. I get it. You know, we're all in the same boat. But but what we need to do is ask ourselves, hey, look, this is the, this is the work God gave the church to do. Be and make disciples, okay? If you want to use that terminology, great. If you want to say, be and make Christians or be and make believers who are being conformed to the image of Christ, I, I don't care. It's, it's the process of becoming saved and growing in sanctification, okay? It is converting to Christ and growing in consecration. It is turning from sin and self and turning to Jesus Christ to become more and more like him every day until he comes back for you in the rapture and makes you just like him in the resurrection. So I want to talk about that today, discipling, discipling. And we're going to start with the question, well, what is it? What is this? When we talk about discipling, okay, what is it? Let's define it. Discipling, the verb, refers to our participation in the process of discipleship. So like I said before, it's like discipleship is that, that noun that we created to refer to this process of being or making disciples, and discipling is the verb that we invented to refer to the same thing. It comes from the terms, the concepts surrounding disciple and discipleship, but we use this verb discipling most often to refer to helping somebody else grow as a disciple. You know, you say, well, who are you discipling? Okay, who's discipling you? And like I said before, you got to be careful with that because, seriously, it's not a term that's used in the Bible. And so define it, define it well, and, and then use it according to that definition. And hopefully you can base your definition of this term on biblical concepts, because the problem you run into is that what we've seen so often is that we say, yeah, who are you discipling? Well, let me introduce you to my disciple. Now, there's where the concept breaks down, Okay. There's where the concept breaks down, because if you are discipling your own disciple, you have failed. You've failed, okay? Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11.1, we saw this, I think, in our last podcast, and it's the simple concept of discipleship, of how we make disciples in, in the church age today. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So yes, follow me. Follow my instruction. Follow my example of faith. If I'm doing something in application of biblical principles, do that. Follow me. Imitate me. Uh, be as I am, right? So Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that's discipling. But when we say, hey, I'm discipling, let me introduce you to my disciple. We've lost, we've lost sight of that last part of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, as I follow Christ. You see, you're not my disciple, I'm not your disciple, the person I'm discipling is not my disciple. We are all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, because I don't want the person I'm discipling to be conformed to my image. I don't want a bunch of little Gregs running around, okay? As much as I like Gregorian doctrine, okay? That's uh, that's humor. That I don't want people following me in the sense of being my disciple. So that's why I say, you know, if we say we're discipling somebody and that somebody is my disciple and I am making a disciple of me, of Greg, I've failed because my job is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, discipling too, here's another one of these aspects that we've talked about probably quite a bit and that I'm going to keep harping on and maybe keep 
keep coming back to because this this word discipling, hey, I'm discipling somebody. It refers to the entire work of discipleship. So please don't lose sight of both aspects of discipleship. When you think of discipleship or when you think of disciples, think of one of those organizational charts. Have you ever seen one of those organizational charts? You know, you've got the company president up at the top, and then you've got two like little stick legs coming down, and then you've got vice president one and vice president two in these these boxes, and then below the vice presidents, you've got other little sticks coming out for the managers. Organizational chart. Well, think about an organizational chart. At the top is discipleship. At the top is making disciples, okay? And then it has those two sticks that come down, and you have two elements, two aspects of discipleship. One is evangelism. The other is edification. Now, both evangelism and edification make up the entire work of discipleship or discipling. You are not—here's the point, okay? Here's the point. I, I, I know I stress, stress this a lot. Here's the point. You are not discipling as the Lord wants you to disciple until you are evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. You see, it's both. It's both evangelism and edification. It's not just edification. And I, if I had a pulpit in front of me, folks, I'd pound on it. I would. I'd pound on it. Why? Well, because how many times in the church do we hear about, well, we're going to evangelize the, the lost, and then we're going to disciple the believers, right? We're going to evangelize the lost, we're going to disciple the believers. We, you, you've been... You've been born again, you're a new believer, boy, you really need to get plugged into discipleship. And I'm telling you, that concept sounds the death knell for ministry in a local church. Why? Because, folks, evangelism is dirty, it's gritty, it's uncomfortable, it's something that that there's a huge opposition to uh, carnally in ourselves. The world uh, doesn't like it when we go knock on their door, when we go on a street corner, when we pass out tracks. You know, you put tracks on people's car doors, you know, on the windows and the car doors or underneath the uh, the 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 windshield wipers and somebody catches you doing it and they'll call the cops. So there's opposition between or but from from the world and there's also obviously opposition from the enemy. He doesn't want us evangelizing. So what do we do when we play into this concept of evangelism and discipleship? When we divorce evangelism from discipleship, we are teaching people that they don't have to evangelize. That's exactly what we're doing. You say, well, no, it's not. No, it's not your intention to do so. But because of the terms that we use, if we divorce evangelism from discipleship, that's exactly what we're communicating. Because Jesus Christ has called us to the work of what? Making disciples. Being and making disciples. So if evangelism is not part of discipleship, if all discipleship is... Is, is the teaching of the Word of God to another believer and helping that other believer learn the Word and apply the Word, well, that's great. That work is nice, it's fun, it's clean. Sometimes you can even have muffins and coffee with it. You've actually got somebody that wants what you have to offer. There's, there's I mean, obviously there's opposition, but there's not like the opposition you get out on the streets. No way. So when we divorce evangelism and say, oh, evangelism and discipleship, we, give, we communicate this idea to people, oh, now wait a minute, 
evangelism and discipleship, and Jesus Christ has called me to make disciples, so if I participate in discipleship, then that other dirty, nasty, uncomfortable work of evangelism, ha, I don't have to do that. Discipleship is made up of evangelism and edification. You cannot divorce evangelism from discipleship. Through evangelism, we make a disciple in the sense of create. It's how a lost person becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Evangelism is the first step of discipleship, of discipling. You say, hey, I want to disciple that guy. I want to disciple that gal. Okay, first step, evangelism. If they're not saved, you have to evangelize them. You have to preach the gospel to them in a way that they can understand it and respond to it. Okay, evangelism. Well, then after that, through edification, we make a disciple in the sense of molding that person. It's how a saved person grows as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, of course, gets us back to Luke 6.40 and Romans 8.29, that, that link between uh, discipleship in the Gospels and then discipleship in the Pauline epistles. So, that's us. It's discipleship is evangelism and edification. We disciple, the verb, we disciple by evangelizing and edifying. Evangelizing the lost, edifying the saved. We make disciples through evangelism and edification. Those are the terms we need to be using. Those are the terms that 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 we need to be communicating to our people because they communicate a biblical philosophy, a biblical idea, a biblical theology of discipleship. So we're going to add this one more term, okay, one more term, and I'm just going to throw it out there to you, missions. Okay, missions. And I just want to talk just briefly, briefly about missions because a lot of times we do this too with missions. Oh, this is a big, big thing, you know, missions. How do you do missions? Well, look, missions, folks, I, like I, I mean, I mean, I know we could get as complicated as we want with theology, and I know I do. Um, just wait for my, wait for my, my, Christmas podcast, okay, coming up this this week. Wait for my Christmas podcast. I got 27 pages of material that I'm going to try and cram in an hour about uh, about Christmas and what it means in the Bible. But we can get as complicated as you want. But frankly, theology is like the title of this podcast, folks. It's Theology 101. It is really not that difficult. And when we talk about missions, missions is copy and paste, okay? You, you've used, you know, word processors enough to know that you can copy text and paste it over into another document. It's copy and paste, folks. That's missions. What we do with missions is we take what we are doing here, here, wherever we are, to be and make disciples, and we go to another geographic location, and we do that. Seriously. Seriously. Think about it. You say, man, I want to go be a missionary in, in China, and praise the Lord. I'm all for it. Um, I'm, I'll back you. You know, let's 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 do that. China, okay. Well, how do I do that? Well, what are you doing here to fulfill your life's mission and glorify God and enjoy Him forever? What what's the work that you're doing here? You say, well, the work I'm doing here is the work of being and making disciples. Okay, you need to go to China and be and make disciples. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Tough, tough concept to grasp. I mean, seriously, that was sarcasm. It's theology 101. We take the work that we're doing here, we copy and paste it in another geographic location. Now, obviously, once you get to your new geographic location, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve to climb. You're going to have to learn language and culture. I tell you, the, the 
The best and most easiest way you can learn culture is to learn the language well. You learn the language well, you will find yourself adapting to that culture because culture and language are all wrapped up together. So you go to China, where you're going to have to spend some years learning the language. And during those first years as you learn the language, you are going to be doing the work of being a disciple more than the work of making disciples. But really, once, once you're up that learning curve, once you can communicate with the people and you understand them in their language and in their culture, making disciples is just as simple as evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. Folks, missions is not complicated, okay? Uh, the work of the ministry is not complicated. Uh, maybe you're a church planter. Okay, I'm on a rabbit trail. Okay, we're, we're way off track here. But if you want to be a church planter, you know what you need to do? You need to look out and say, okay, where do they need a church? Then you go to where they need a church. Now, what do you do? Oh, gee, I don't know. What are we going to do? Maybe we should evangelize the lost. And then once people get saved and they start attending where you're having church, then you can edify the saved. You see what I'm saying? Missions, whether it's missions in a, in a foreign culture, whether it's missions in your own culture with your own language, like a church planter, it is copy and paste, folks. What's most important is to do the work here that God called us to do so we can get ourselves trained up and habitual in the work of the ministry here of being and making disciples biblically so when God opens the door for us to go to another geographic location, whether it's in our own language or another language, another culture, we just copy and paste. We just do there what we're doing here, but if we're not doing it here, you're kidding yourself, thinking that you're going to do it there. So that's discipling. Like I said, it's not hard to understand, okay? And that's really all the time we're going to spend on, on talking about the term. Discipling is basically discipleship. It's the verb we've created to refer to the work of being and making disciples. So what I want to do now is ask you a couple of questions. Okay, so if we understand what discipling is, it is the work of being and making disciples. You know, you be a disciple through salvation and sanctification. You make disciples through evangelism and edification. Well, who's responsible for it? Who's supposed to do that? Well, here's the answer. It's your pastor. That's what we pay him for, right? No. Um, discipling. Who's responsible for it? Well, let's talk about being a disciple. And, and here's where we might get a little personal. Here's where you might feel like I'm thumping in the chest a little bit. Maybe so. But frankly, it applies to everybody. Look, I'm not a pastor. I don't do this for a living. Um, and so I'm in the same boat as most of you all. Being a disciple. We talk about being saved and growing in sanctification. Who's responsible for that? And, and I know, I mean, seriously, it's just kind of obvious, right? It's obvious, but it needs to be stated. It needs to be stated clearly so that we avoid problems, so we avoid misunderstandings. Um, you are. You're responsible. You're responsible for discipling in your own life. You are. Okay? Think about it. Um, you are responsible for being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the Gospels, you see this, when Jesus Christ issued his call to his 12 disciples, you know, that, that great and famous Bible study that so many people have done, Book of John, follow me, you know, follow me, follow me, and follow me, and boy, we, we, we get our people all wound up about, hey, let's follow Jesus, follow me. Well, 
if you think about it, when Jesus said, follow me, to each and every one of his 12 disciples, not one of them could point to another and say, well, I failed because of him. He didn't do what I expected him to do. I failed because he didn't give me what I needed. You know, could you see Peter doing that? Pointing at John. John, John hurt my feelings, and so I failed. No, no, seriously. Each and every one of those disciples responded to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore they are responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not responsible to other disciples. They're responsible to Christ himself. We are. We are disciples of the Lord. Yes, we follow men as they follow Christ, but ultimately we follow men to learn how to follow Christ. So I am not responsible for you, and you are not responsible for me. Your pastor is not responsible for you. We are all responsible responsible individually before the Lord to follow Him. Now granted, obviously, God has called believers to help other believers to grow in faith. That, that's why we have local churches. That's why, I mean, we talked about this in our last couple of podcasts. That's why we have discipleship. So, you know, one can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, so don't think that I'm saying that all we need is a Bible and a concordance. You can throw me on, a, on an island and I'm going to do okay. No, that's, that's not the point. That's not the point. Yes, God has called other believers to help other believers grow in faith. This is a concept of a church, local church. But those other believers are in no way responsible for your lack of diligence in following the Lord. So just to just to say it, and I know I don't I don't mean to be rude, I don't mean to, you know, be condescending or anything like that, because I gotta say it to myself, okay? But don't point your finger at the character defects in others, your pastor, people who have discipled you, people who have offended you. Don't point at other people and say that you have not grown in Christ because of them. You have not grown in Christ because of you. That's where the responsibility lies. Because ultimately, the Lord has called you to salvation, and the Lord has called you individually to follow him as a disciple. And at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to ask you to give an account of yourself, your efforts, and your works. There's going to be no blaming others at the judgment seat of Christ for our decisions and our lack of commitment. So I don't think we should be blaming others now. Okay, we all have access to the Scripture. We all have access to the Spirit of God in us. We all have the opportunity to gather together with other saints, and you could say, well, my church isn't a good church. Well, then maybe you need to spend more time in the Bible feeding yourself since you're not getting fed the way that you need to be fed at church. So we have all we need, each and every one of us, to grow in Christ. All right? I'm going to read a passage. Okay, it's Luke 14, 25 to 33. Just going to make some observations. This is the passage, great passage about, uh, you know, count the costs, right? Count the costs. Luke 14, 
Where am I at? 25. And there went a great multitudes, and there went great multitudes with him, with Jesus. He turned and said unto them. Okay, so get the picture. It's easy to, it's easy to grasp. There's this huge multitude of quote-unquote discipleship, uh, this discipleship, disciples following Christ. It's our picture of discipleship here. They're following him. Well, he turns around and says something to them, and he does not address the entire multitude. He addresses the individual in the multitude. He says, if any man come to me, and that's the whole context of everything that follows. Every man, every individual is personally responsible before Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You say, you see, being a disciple is not about what others are doing. He said, he says, he cannot be my disciple. It's about what the individual does with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The same thing. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and count out the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? There should count the cost, lest happily after you have laid the foundation is not able to finish it. All that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man, and that's it, this man, the individual, began to build and was not able to finish. Well, who's responsible for that? It's that guy, the one that should have count the cost, counted the cost beforehand. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great distance off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So who's responsible? It's the king. It's the individual. Verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So when we talk about being a disciple, we really need to talk about who's responsible for this. Who's responsible for my my growth in the Lord Jesus Christ? I know we need other, other people to preach the gospel to us. You know, Shane Sanderson back in 1988, witnessed to me and shared the gospel with me and led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, of course, I had help. We, we all get this help. But at the end of the day, Shane Sanderson did not decide for me. Shane Sanderson did not repent for me. Shane Sanderson did not place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for me. Shane Sanderson preached the gospel to me. That's it. Then he left the decision and the commitment with me. I'm responsible. If I took what he gave me and decided, thanks, but no, who's responsible for me being in hell? I am. And so it works the same way with edification. Uh, you know, we have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit of God, we have the local church, and whether it's a good local church or not, frankly, honestly, it doesn't matter. And I'm going to read a verse to you out of the book of Jude to show you it doesn't matter, but but even so, if you're not where you want to be in Jesus Christ, who's at fault? If I'm not where I want to be in Jesus Christ, whose fault is it? Is it somebody else in the past who's done bad things to me? Or is it my fault because of the decisions I've made. 
Is it my fault because of my lack of commitment? That's what it boils down to. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, here's, here's, here's Jude, verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, now unto him, it's talking about God, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Verse 24 says that God is able to keep you from falling and that God is able to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. God is able to do that. I would even venture to say, based on what the Bible says, that God wants to do that in your life. So if that's not happening, if you're not growing in Jesus Christ the way you want to, if you're not where you are, if you're not where you want to be in your Christian walk, then, then we, need to, we need to be responsible, man up, and say, you know what? That's my fault. That's me. Every one of us is responsible for ourselves. And obviously we help each other, okay? But please don't blame anyone else for your character defects or for your lack of growth or for your lack of participation in the ministry. No one is perfect. We will all fail one another. We will all offend our brothers in Christ. It's not an excuse. It's just a reality. But we are not following men. We are following Jesus Christ. We need to do our best to help other people according to our gifts, our calling, and our personality, whatever we can do. But we are not the Lord. You and I are responsible for being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's kind of where we need to start with all of this, is to say, hey, look, the landscape today in Christianity is awful. Frankly, the local churches today are awful. So many of them have given themselves wholeheartedly to, to this entertainment-oriented paradigm. And they are entertaining goats instead of feeding the sheep. They're more interested and focused on providing a, a Sunday morning experience than they are in actually fulfilling the mission God gave us to do of being and making disciples. And so I get it. Churches are not where they need to be. Most pastors are not where they need to be because most congregations don't want a biblical pastor. They don't want a pastor theologian. They want a pastor program manager. They want a pastor counselor. They want somebody that'll meet them and greet them at the door and hug them and give them a muffin and make them feel all warm and fuzzy inside and help them live their best life now. When what God has called a pastor to do is to labor in the word and doctrine and to preach in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But they're not suffering doctrine today, are they? And so our churches are not where they need to be. But that doesn't mean we have an excuse for being less 
than the disciples Jesus Christ has called us to be. We have the Scripture, we have the Spirit of God, and we have at least some sort of local church we can attend. So look, who's responsible for being a disciple? You are. I am. Well, who's responsible for making disciples? Because that's the other side of the coin, you know? That's our our mission is to be and make disciples. So who's responsible for making disciples? You know, practical Calvinism is wonderful. God's in charge, right? Let God do it. I'm going to go to the movies. Um, Who's in charge of making disciples? Uh, Well, there is an aspect of that. What Paul said in, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, and who gave the increase? Well, God did. So, if we make disciples through evangelism and edification, evangelizing the lost, edifying the saved, um, God is ultimately responsible for, quote-unquote, making a disciple, because he is the one who gives the increase in our evangelistic efforts, saving people. He saves people. He regenerates people. We don't. He also gives the increase in our efforts to edify believers and their sanctification, conforming them and molding them to the image of Christ. But... Although Calvinism makes for a wonderful opportunity to shirk our responsibility in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a Catholic philosophy and not Bible. So, just as obvious to us, should be the fact that God has given us a part to play in the work of making disciples, and that's what we want to focus on. So yes, God is involved. God gives the increase. Life comes from God. He is the life in evangelism and edification. But what about us? You know, we have a responsibility to evangelize the lost. This is 2 Corinthians. There's two main passages here I'm going to go to. And uh, this is one of those things where you say, I've got two main passages to go to. Why? Because Paul did not find it necessary to succinctly repeat the Great Commission. Now, a lot of people take that to mean that the Great Commission is not for us. Well, that's that's not true, and we're going to see that later on when we talk about some anachronisms in Christianity and discipleship today. But Paul, when, when we see the Great Commission in the end of the Gospels, Paul took that Great Commission in its gener, general form to go and make disciples. He took that, and he did it. He even baptized people, baptized believers. He didn't baptize people to, to get into the body of Christ. He baptized people after they were already in the body of Christ. But regardless... We have to go to two different passages to talk about evangelism and, and, and edification because Paul didn't find it necessary to repeat succinctly the Great Commission because he was following the Great Commission that was already given in the Gospels. So more, we'll talk about that more later. But every disciple, every one of us that is reconciled to the Lord is expected by the Lord to do the work of evangelism. Okay, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. Let me read 5, 17 first, because this is our warm, fuzzy verse. Okay, this makes me feel good. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we love to stop right there. Oh, yes. Finally, all things are become new. I don't like me. I don't like my hair. I don't like my bad breath. Don't like my job. Um, I don't. There's so much I don't like. Well, now everything is new in Jesus Christ, and finally, I can live my best life now. But if we keep reading, we find that the Bible says that all things are become new. And then in verse 18, it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
And so right away we see that part of the newness in our life is a mission that God has given us. To anyone who has been reconciled, reconciled to God by Jesus Christ, that person has been given a ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. I'll read it again. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So if you have been reconciled to Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved, this is you, you and me. We are us. That's it, okay? And then he says, he has given to us the reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation. So every one of us Christians, reconciled, believers, born again, saved, each and every one of us has received this same ministry of reconciliation to wit, to know, to explain that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So if you don't, if you don't know how to evangelize, you say, oh no, oh no, uh, I, I'm reconciled and God has given me the ministry of reconciliation, which has taken the word of reconciliation, the gospel, as an ambassador out to the lost and pleading with them, please be reconciled to, uh, to God in Christ. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Okay, well, that's good. Because number one, it, it lets you know, it lets us know, that you're taking it seriously. And to say, okay, God's called me to this work of reconciliation, of calling people to reconciliation with the word of reconciliation, to preach the gospel to the lost. I, I don't know how to do that. Okay, stick around. Um, I'm going to be teaching a lot about the, what the Bible says about evangelism. We're going to get to the practical stuff, like I said, in the second half of the series on discipleship. It's a lot of hands-on good stuff. Okay, so stick around. But what we want to see in this passage is uh, we're called. We are called to evangelize. Every one of the reconciled is called to the ministry of reconciliation, to calling uh, people that aren't reconciled to reconciliation. Okay, that's evangelism. So just, just right here, just recognize we're all called to evangelism. It's not the people that have the gift of evangelism. And frankly, there is no gift of evangelism in the Bible, okay? The gift in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, is the evangelist, okay? The evangelist is given to the body of Christ to perfect the saints. The evangelist, like a pastor-teacher, is given to teach and train the saints specifically in the work of evangelism. So we're all called to evangelize, we're all called... To, to do the work uh, uh, out in the field of sowing the seed and preaching the gospel, uh, the word of reconciliation, the evangelist is given as a teacher, a leader, a trainer, an example um, to go forth and do that. I think one of the greatest, a couple good examples in my life are Ray Comfort. He's an evangelist. God gave him. He's a, he's a blessing to the body of Christ and teaching so many people to, uh, to evangelize. Um, you got Mark Cahill. Mark Cahill's a wonderful evangelist, teaching and training the body of Christ on how to, to evangelize. And so you've got a lot of these guys that, that God gave to the body to teach and train the believers, but it's the believers that go out and evangelize. Okay, so let's talk about edifying. Discipleship is, is made up of evangelism and edification. We evangelize the lost, and then we have edify the saved. Well, what about edification? Well, we have all been called to the same work of edification. You're supposed to edify believers. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let everything be done for edification. 
you know, you, you go to church and, and you see somebody that you don't like and you kind of, you know, give them that little snooty look and you turn your nose up and walk away from them. Was that edifying? No. Well, God called us. He says, let everything be done to edifying. That's your ministry. That's our ministry. We're to edify. And, and let's let's develop this just a little bit in the book of Ephesians. This is the second passage. Okay, the first passage on evangelism, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we want to talk about um, edifying. I like to go to Ephesians. Start in Ephesians chapter 2, you know, that, that wonderful passage that says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And again, that's the, that's the feel-good passage. You know, it makes me feel good that I'm, I'm saved by grace and saved by faith, and, and that's it. But then in verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so we're saved, and if we are saved, then verse 10 tells us that God has created us in Christ for good works that he expects us to do, to live in, to walk in, to constantly and consistently accomplish. Those are the good works of the ministry that we see in Ephesians 4. Now the whole passage, you know, this whole passage, verse uh it's uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. It's kind of long. It's kind of involved. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, I, I think it's something that we all understand. It says in verse 11, And he, Jesus Christ, he gave. And he gave four different kinds of leaders. He gave some apostles. We call those missionaries today. He gave some prophets. We call those preachers today. He gave some evangelists. That's what I said. They're the, the teachers and trainers in the work of evangelism. And some pastors and teachers. Why? Because a pastor is to be a teacher. If a pastor is not apt to teach, he is not qualified to be a pastor. So they're pastor teachers. And these leaders in verse 11 have been given for the purpose, in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. And that's everybody else. So the leaders have been given to perfect us. Us, the people who sit in the pews, the people who sit in the congregation that receive the teaching, the training, us, the saints, they are here to perfect us. Why? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, the saints are perfected so that they can do the work of the ministry. And then the work of the ministry is for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they're given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he goes on and he says in verse 13, "...till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man." There's the goal. "...unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ." That's what we're being perfected toward, to become like Christ. And then he says in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro. God wants us to grow up, to be mature, to mature in Christ, to stop being children." Uh, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He says, but speaking the truth in love, there's the truth is a Bible, in love, helping people apply the Bible, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we grow up in Christ. This is the part of discipleship that's edification, being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, verse, verse 16 is where we make our point. It says, from whom, from Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, 
according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The body of Christ is made up of members. The head, obviously, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the members of that body, and we are to edify the body in love by participating, each and every one of us, in the ministry of edification. So edification, when we talk about this, edification is ministering the Word of God to another believer in love. You, you remember what we, what we talked about when we first started this podcast? I, I mentioned something. I, I said, you know, I used to tell people, read the Bible and do what it says. Read the Bible, do what it says. Read the Bible, do what it says. And I kind of changed that. And now I kind of tell people, learn the Bible and do what it tells you. It's a little bit more specific because reading the Bible and doing what it says is not exactly what we're called to do. Because you could read the book of Leviticus and do what it says and end up a mess. You know, all of the animal sacrifices and stuff, I think you might get in trouble in today's society. You start hacking up animals out in your backyard. So it's not just about reading the Bible and doing what it says. It's about learning the Bible because the Bible has a context. Oh, I can't wait. Look, folks, I, if, if anybody's listening to this podcast, we're 48 minutes into it, and we're going to finish up here in about another 10. But if I could just give a quick commercial... Uh, commercial break to say, you know, all of this stuff on discipleship is 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 moving us toward uh, some other studies on developing a a contextual biblical theology to start and say, you know, what is what are how do we understand the Bible in and of itself? You know, we need to we need to understand our hermeneutics and the hermeneutical principles that we develop from our presuppositions that we have about God and Scripture. When we approach the Bible, what do we presume? What do what kind of presuppositions do we have? Because our hermeneutics, these principles about how we interpret Scripture, they all get plugged into our head with with all of this stuff, right? And so there, there's a lot, a lot going on um, that I have planned for our for our podcast. Okay, that I want to share with you my my Bible studies and and use the podcast as kind of my outlet. You know, to say hey, here's what I'm here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I'm studying. I love studying the Bible, but edification, folks, edification. We need to minister the word to others in love. Okay, because. It's the Word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God that will conform us to the Son of God. I mean, make us sons of God like Jesus Christ. And so we need to learn the Scripture, not just read it. We need to learn it. It has to be learned in its context. And there's a lot of fun and neat and interesting stuff I want to go through. It is, it's really, it's not that hard to understand. It's not. Um, but man, it's interesting. And so learn the Bible, but we don't just stop there. We need to do what it says. You know, that's the sponge concept. You know, you, 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 a sponge can soak up only so much water until it has to be squeezed out. And uh, we're the same way. You know, we can learn and learn and learn and learn the Bible. We get to that point, but boy, we got to be squeezed out. And we got to minister to somebody else so we can start taking in more and then ministering more. And that is, that's edification, okay? So here's another thing that needs to be said so that we avoid some misunderstandings later on. Every one of us, every member of the body of Christ, every Christian born-again believer, individually and as a member of a local church, each and every one of us has been called by the Lord to edify other believers, by ministering the word to them, 
by teaching them the Word and helping them to apply it in their daily lives. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you. Okay, now that scares some people. Okay, frankly, that motivates me. I like that. Okay, the way God built me, um, if I could do that full-time, I'd do that. You know, let me win the lottery, give me enough money, and I'll study my Bible all day and then preach at night. Um, but but the teaching in the Word of God and helping other people to understand it and apply it, sometimes that scares people. They're like, hey, I, I don't know how to do that. Okay, so just think about this. This is another misunderstanding I want to clear up. Edifying another believer can look like this. Now, just think about this. You get together with a buddy at church, okay? Now, you can get together anywhere. You get together at church, you get together at your house— I would I would say avoid Starbucks um, just just because I don't like Starbucks. The I, muffins there are like eight dollars. So if you want to go to some coffee place, of, I don't know. Quick Trip has some great apple fritters. I like Quick Trip, and they got you know some tables outside. You could do it at Quick Trip. Uh, Quick Trip is like a, a convenience store, like a Seven Eleven. If you're in some place in the country that doesn't have Quick Trips, anyway, it, just get together with another believer. You read the Bible and talk about it. You say, well, what do we talk about? You talk about what the passage says. You talk about what the passage means. You talk about what the passage implies. You just read it. Okay, what does it say? That's observation, right? You just observe it. What does it say? And then you talk about, well, what does this really mean in the interpretation? And then thirdly, you say, what does it imply? How are we going to apply this? How are we going to do this? You and me. You just sit down. We read a a chapter in the Bible. Hey, what what does this mean? what 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 are we reading here? How can we do this? Okay, how can we do this? And then you pray together, and then you go just, you go your, your separate ways. You see, edifying somebody could be that simple. Look, I'm telling you, it could be as simple as bumping into somebody at church on Sunday and having a kind and edifying word for them rather than snuffing them and turning up your nose and walking away and not saying, hey, let everything done, be done to edification. Okay, but if, we, if we're going to talk about intentional ministry, it could be just that simple. We get together, we read the Bible, and we talk about what it says. Folks, that's it. Okay, but edification can be as complicated as you want. And I put complicated in quotes, okay? If that, if that fits better how God made you. Because you could, as somebody that I know, you could develop a three-year structured, written, academic course of discipleship and study that's going to help other believers grow in the knowledge of the Word and, through application exercises, help them to apply that knowledge and, 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 and do what they're learning. Yeah, I, I did that. When I was a missionary down in Latin America, I developed a three-year structured program. It's out on, the, uh, out on the internet. It has books and applications and questions and exercises, a whole bunch of stuff. Structured. Structured. Why? Because that fits me. So edification doesn't have to be complicated, but it can be if that's how you're wired. You see, there's room in the ministry for everyone, from the simple fishermen like Peter, James, and John, they, they minister the word to other, to other people. It can be from the simple fisherman to the vocational theologian. Paul, the Pharisee, vocational theologian, folks. Come on, seriously. Paul had a, had a mind for theology. And there's room for anyone else in between those two extremes. Nobody's excluded. Look, if my style is too academic for you, don't worry, because your style's probably not academic enough for me. Different, now here's the point. And again, if I had a pulpit, here's probably where I'd stop and start pounding on the pulpit. Different is not wrong. Okay, I'm going to say that again. That's one of those profound theology 101 statements. <clears throat> Different is not wrong. We need the difference. We need the diversity 
among the members of the body of Christ in order to build well-rounded disciples. And that's why God designed discipleship and discipling to be done in a local church, because there, disciples will get exposure to a variety of other disciples, the academic types, the relational types, um, the talkative types, the quiet types, the industrious types, the lazy types. Each member of the body participates in the edification process, and we need each other. And so here's just a practical uh, a practical application, and then we're going to finish up. We're going to stop right here because we're going to leave the, the next point for our next podcast. It's, it's a good one. It's a really good point. I really want to talk about it, um, but we need some time to develop it, okay? If you want the uh, buzzword, we really need some time to unpack it, you know, unpack it. Um, have a very robust um, unpackaging of our theological concepts. But to, to finish this up and leave the, the last point um, for, for the next podcast, let me just give you a practical exhortation, okay? Very, very practical. And I'm going to jump over real quick to 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to make my point, okay? So you don't think I'm just getting on my own personal soapbox here. But <clears throat> here's what I want to say. Please think twice before criticizing another believer just because he's not like you or because he doesn't do the work of the ministry exactly like you do. Okay? Um, <clears throat> you know, we go every now and then, I, I don't get out as much as I'd like to, but I remember being out street preaching with my buddy Dave. We were down at Westport's, the bar district, and Dave was up on the box, and he was preaching. That's a bar district. It was at night. There was a lot of you know people that were drinking. They weren't out there for a church service, so there was some pushback and there was some opposition from the people on the streets. But basically, you know, they just walk by and they they look at you, they give you the finger, and then they go on about their business. The the most opposition we got that night that I'm, I'm I recall was from two guys. One in one specifically, two guys from an area church. And they were out there witnessing to people personally, just, just trying, trying to strike up conversations. Very, very nice guys in, in that sense. They were very genuine. They, they wanted to talk to people. They were out there engaging people in these one-on-one these, uh, -on -one conversations or small groups, you know, just talking to them, just real pleasant, real nice. And then there's Dave up on the box, um, just, you know, hammering out the gospel. And this kid came up to him and he just, he, he told him, that's not how you do it. That's not loving. That's not kind. You shouldn't be doing that. No, 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 no. Now, wait a minute. A Christian would never oppose the preaching of the gospel. Just because you don't like how somebody else is doing something doesn't mean it's wrong. Different is different. Different is not wrong. I know a church over in Independence, Independence Missouri, pastored by uh, Mark Velder. They do door knocking. They go knock on doors. I, I don't like knocking on doors. I'd rather go stand on a street corner and, and preach in the open air, go to a university camp, campus and preach in the open air, go pass out tracks somewhere, uh, go preach at the Minnesota State Fair up with uh, Kyle Stevens at uh, Blessed Hope Baptist Church in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Love that stuff. But knock on doors? Oh, that's that outside of my wheelhouse. But different is not wrong. Different's just different. Okay, and we need the difference. I'm thankful for Mark Velder and his church that goes out and knocks on doors. I'm thankful for the Christians who can go out 
in a bar district and strike up personal conversations with people one-on-one on the streets. I, I'm not good at that. I'm also thankful for the guys who can get up on the box and authoritatively announce, thus saith the Lord, and call lost sinners to repentance before their Lord and their Creator. Different is not wrong. So please think twice before criticizing another believer just because he's not like you or because he doesn't do the work of the ministry just like you. And that works in the church just like outside of the church. You say, well, discipleship is supposed to be one-on-one. And, and, and I heard this too, you know, look, ministry rides on the rails of relationships. Now you think about that. How much truth is in that? Ministry, okay, the metaphor of a train. Ministry rides on the rails of relationships. There's a whole lot of truth in that. But for somebody who doesn't build personal relationships very well, okay? For somebody who is, to coin the term, socially retarded, that kind of extra-biblical saying kind of says, unless you build relationships, you will never be able to minister. And and I want to tell you, one of the men who has ministered to me through almost my entire Christian life has been Dr. Peter Ruckman. And and not and and he I have learned so much from him that it's I, I couldn't even say. I owe that man a lot. I have never had a personal relationship with him. I went and met him once. I probably we probably exchanged, you know, 10 words, 20 tops when I met him down at his church. I just wanted to go see him. But God used that man in my life, and I don't have a relationship with him. So yeah, ministry rides on the rails of relationships, but not all ministry. And God took a man like Peter Ruckman, and he used him tremendously in the body of Christ during the last couple of generations. And so just because one member of the body of Christ is not like another member of the body of Christ doesn't make one or the other wrong. What we need to understand is 1 Corinthians 12, 18. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, in the context of the body, it says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. God set each and every one of the members of the body of Christ exactly where it pleased him. And if it doesn't please you, or if it doesn't please me, you know what? Too bad. You know, maybe I have a more academic approach to edification. That's how God made me, and that's how God placed me in the body of Christ. You might be more relational. One is not wrong and the other right. Both are good and both are needed. That's why we're still here. See, I don't agree with this when somebody gets up in the, in the pulpit and says, God does not need you. In an abstract theological concept of God being independent, God doesn't need anything or anyone. He is perfect and, and self-contained. He is God. In that, in that non-communicable 
um, attribute of God, he is independent. But when we look at God's work in history, the way God designed the work to be done, God needs every one of the members he placed in the body of Christ to accomplish the work that he called us to do. We are needed, every member of the body of Christ. So, think twice, please, and hold your tongue. Let's think twice when we feel the need to point at somebody else who's different than us and criticize that person in the ministry. We need to step back, shut up, and think. Maybe God made that person the way he is for a purpose God has for that person in the body of Christ and in the ministry of evangelism and edification, to do a work that God wants him to do in the body that requires that type of person to be the way he is. Different is not wrong. We are all called to be and make disciples. We will all do the work of discipling a little different. Our evangelism styles will be different, but we all need to get the gospel to the lost. So don't oppose your brother when he's preaching the gospel. I don't care if you don't like how he does it. Leave him alone. Go somewhere else if it goes up your nose so far that you just can't stand it. But don't oppose the preaching of the gospel. And our edification styles will also be different. But we all need to speak the truth and love to other believers in order to help them grow in the knowledge and application of the Bible. Styles are different. Personalities are different. So different is not wrong. Different is necessary. We are. It is the true concept of unity or diversity in unity or unity in diversity. We are one body under the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are unified in mission of being and making disciples. How that gets accomplished according to styles is as different as the different parts of our bodies are different. It's not wrong. It's just different. So that leaves us with one more thing. And there's a problem. There's a problem in discipling And before we can get off off into the next uh, round and series of podcasts and teaching about a, a, a good, solid biblical philosophy of discipleship, a philosophy of evangelism, a philosophy of edification, we need to talk about a problem. There's a problem in discipleship. So that's our topic for the next podcast. If you have time... Download the next podcast. It'll be up next week. And uh, if you're listening to this after I've already got them up, then you can download it right away and listen to it. It's It's the last half. We're still talking about discipling, okay? Discipling is just this work of discipleship. It's the work of being and making disciples. We are each and every one of us responsible for discipling. For being disciples, we're individually responsible for God, and for making disciples, according to how God has made us and placed us in the body, according to our personalities and talents, the design, design, divine design in us, we are responsible to evangelize the lost and edify the saved. But there's a problem. So come back for the next podcast. I want to talk specifically about that, how we can define the problem, describe the problem, either fix it or avoid it. 
Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teologia101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.